From WABE in Atlanta, I'm Rose Scott. And I'm John Dankowski from New England Public Media. This is America Amplified, Election 2020. Your voice counts. Coming up this hour. We have been divided. Latino people from one side and black community in the other side. I feel like I'm yelling into a pillow and no one is listening. Nobody wants to sit down to the table and talk because they are so far divided. We have to find a middle ground and stop being so bullheaded. This is what's going to heal America. We're navigating through what divides us. And looking for ways to come together. It's America Amplified. Election 2020. Your voice counts. I'm John Dankowski from New England Public Media. And I'm Rose Scott from WABE in Atlanta. This is America Amplified, Election 2020. We're teaming up with public radio stations across the country to talk about what's important to you, why your voice counts. In this hour, we're going to be talking about what divides us. It's been a year filled with protests against injustice and racism. Wildfires raged across the West, and a pandemic killed more than 210,000 Americans, leaving the economy in ruins. And each of these events, which could have brought Americans together, seem to have pulled us further apart. We see divisions regarding law enforcement and how black Americans are treated, over climate change as a cause of extreme weather, even over whether to wear a mask to protect our fellow citizens. We want to know, do you think that we've reached a boiling point here in America? How do you think we get past this current moment? Can we do it? Tweet us at Amplified2020. And as we begin today's conversation, let's welcome to the program the Honorable Shirley Franklin, the first black woman to be elected mayor of a major southern city right here in Atlanta, Georgia, and longtime civil rights activist as well. Shirley Franklin, welcome to the program. Thank you very much. How are you? Doing fine. All things considered, you know, let's begin here, uh, Ms. Franklin, because a year like no other and an election year at that through your lens. What's the temperature of this nation right now? Well, it just I think it just depends on the day. I mean, some days it just seems like overload, the fires, the protests, the pandemic and um, a series of tweets from the White House that are inexplicable. Generally, people are digging in um, and working hard to try to make it through 2020. But 2020 is one of those years that that has everyone on pins and needles. And it's taken a lot of energy to keep pushing forward, especially for those people who've lost jobs, lost loved ones, uh, and who are facing really the the terrible results of either the pandemic or or the loss of a loved one through police violence or from uh, COVID. So with the election being just weeks away and everything that you've just talked about that we as American citizens were all dealing with, has then political rhetoric overshadowed real voter issues? Not that those aren't, but the other issues that are so important to citizens. Well, I think those are all real issues. Certainly racism and white supremacy is a real issue. Poverty is a real issue in America still, and that poverty is tied to race and class, uh, lack of opportunity. 
um, divisive politics. Uh, from my from my standpoint, a lot of that is coming um, from the White House and from our president. Um, Americans will have a chance to express their opinions about politics in a few weeks. So, Shirley, the thing throughout today's program that we're asking folks, and we're going to be very honest about this, is so are we a nation that's currently divided right now? I think we have been divided. I think we are more obviously divided. I think as an African-American, I have felt that that I lived in a nation that was divided and that did not fully understand the experiences of the African-American community. I think if you ask uh, someone from the Latino or Latinx uh, community, they might say the exact same thing. Or in the immigrant community, certainly as a woman, I have felt um, that uh, women have not been given full opportunities in the United States for most of its history. But even in recent years, uh, we've been treated as if we are less than equal uh, in too many situations. So I don't think it's a question of whether we have not, whether we've been divided before or not. The division is so obvious now. It is obvious when you see George Floyd die on video mm -hmm. as police officers have their hands in their pockets and they comfortably participate in his death. I was at the rallies. I felt the need to actually see it for myself. And what I saw in the protests in Atlanta and those that I attended is I saw a great deal of optimism a great deal of concern, um, a limited amount of anger. And I found many, many thousands of young people who uh, were organizing on their own. They, uh, and they had very specific messages that they were delivering. They want America to be better. They want a stop to police abuse and, and, and wrongful killings. Um, they want people to have opportunity and education and they want money to be invested in communities uh, and not further militarization of the police. Um, they want police as part, the police mm. officers as partners. Well, let's actually hear from Robert Wasoski. He's president of the Fraternal Order of Police in Norman, Oklahoma. He's retired now. He spent 29 years as a patrol officer. He says this divisive year has put some things into perspective for him, and he wonders where we're headed. I've definitely seen the pendulum swing back and forth in favor of law enforcement and then, of course, against law enforcement. You have a pandemic and you have a, a lockdown where people are shut into their homes and not allowed to have the freedom to do what they want to do. And then you have George Floyd incident occur. And it's kind of a perfect storm. Uh, it's an election year, so obviously uh, political motivation is high on, on both sides put all those things together and you make a serious social cocktail of unrest uh, and that can translate and it has translated into uh, riots and protests and things that have become violent uh, and things that are also not violent. The fear of the unknown of moving forward is how we're going to get back to normal. Again, that's the voice of Robert Wasoski, a retired patrol officer. Shirley Franklin, as you listen to him talk, 
we, we should talk a bit about the role of the police. Right now, they feel demonized. They feel as though people are saying all of the police need to be defunded. They need to be held responsible for the death of George Floyd. What do you hear when you hear uh, Mr. Wasoski talk and when you hear other policemen talk to you about how, how they feel right now? We all recognize that policing is a part of the institutional structure that we need. We want the police to be there to help protect us and there's no question about that. Um, I do believe that we have to reimagine policing though. The question is whether, it's not just a question of how many officers you have, mm -hmm. but how, not just how well they're trained mm -hmm. and how accountable they are, but what are we asking them to do? I'm wondering if you see any of this, any of what we've gone through this year, actually affecting change. You've been through a lot of changes in your life, and you've seen the civil rights movement up close, which took hold in America, but then has gotten us to this point once again. I guess I just wonder if you feel like this time, this year, any of those things are going to change. Oh, absolutely. I am optimistic that America will tackle these problems. It does require resolve, persistence, hard work, a little bit of grace. We've got to grant grace that these are tough issues and people are going to make mistakes. And it, and it requires political activity. Political leaders set the course, set the policy for the country, and we have seen that. I mean, this notion that nothing has changed this year, I think is flawed. Now, has enough changed? No. But I think we are on, I mean, we are right there at the point, at the intersection, where we can tackle the issues. I am very optimistic. And I, I'll just close by this point by saying that, especially with young people, I said, when I was born, when I graduated from high school, and when I graduated from college, I could not be mayor of Atlanta as an African-American woman. It was the hard work and sacrifice and struggle of thousands of people, many of them African-American and many of them white Americans, faith leaders, business leaders, children, that changed the laws that made it possible for me to be elected mayor of Atlanta. So I am a living witness that change can happen. Well, and speaking of that optimism that you're talking about and as it relates to young folks you just talked about, when you were that age, we're going to go around across this country throughout all of these episodes. But now take a listen to R.J. Young. He's a young black man in Tulsa, Oklahoma. You know, he says he feels like racism has become the greatest threat to his well-being. But like that optimism you talked about, Shirley Franklin, he still remains hopeful we can bridge our divides. Ninety-nine years after the Tulsa race massacre, I am terrified to be a black man in Tulsa. I've heard from black friends who have purchased guns, they have decided this is the only way they can ensure protection because they don't feel their white friends will protect them. I'm in pain and I'm scared of the world, but I'm not so scared that I don't want to engage with you in meaningful ways and I haven't lost hope in the idea of the impossible being within our grasp. That's R.J. Young. He's from Tulsa, Oklahoma. Shirley Franklin, I guess I'm wondering if you could react to what, what you heard him say. I, I hear a lot of, of fear 
uh, in his voice when he talks about the America he's, he's living in right now? Well, for for many people, young and old, and especially for young, this is a fearful time. And we need to do everything we can as more seasoned adults, seasoned in that we've lived some through some tough times to give him hope and some support so that he can talk about race, so that he can understand the historical significance of the changes that have already taken place. We can't take away all the fear he feels though, because the circumstances that he's witnessing would make anyone fearful. Mm. We have to push through the fear and we have to push through our hesitation to stay engaged. Former mayor of Atlanta, Shirley Franklin, thank you so much for taking the time. We really appreciate it. Thank you. We're talking about what divides us as a nation and what can bring us back together as we head toward this important election. Coming up. He's burning, rioting cities. I mean, we're, we're sitting in a little quiet space of the world here in America wondering, what in the hell is going on? We'll be right back. This is America Amplified. Welcome back to the program. I'm Rose Scott from WABE in Atlanta. And I'm John Dankosky from New England Public Media. This is America Amplified, Election 2020. Your voice counts. And we're talking this hour about what's dividing America right now. You know, it's just one month before the election. And wherever you are, we want to hear from you. What are you seeing in your community, your family? What are y'all talking about at the gym or the park? How can we bridge this divide? Tweet us at Amplify 2020. What divides us right now as a country? Ask around and you'll likely get a different answer depending on who you talk to. But for many, given not only the incidence of racial injustice this year alone, but for generations and generations, what divides us is race. Let's hear from 17-year-old Brooke and her mom, Bridget Belsky. They're in Omaha, Nebraska. Even in the local government, I hear things that make me feel uncomfortable. There was a bill that was brought to the table to help um, Black women with their natural hair not be discriminated in the workforce. And Governor Pete Ricketts put the kibosh on it. He did, he vetoed it. I think that's what divides us, is that the whole system is set up based on the preservation of one race, and that's the white race, instead of the human race. It just angers me that the same society that says don't judge a book by its cover is doing exactly that. I have had many experiences in my life dealing with racism, 
you know, I've been had a doctor just flat out tell me they hate treating sickle cell patients. I mean, no one would tell a cancer patient they hate treating cancer patients. Why did she tell me that she hates treating sickle cell patients? Well, because most sickle cell patients are African-American. They're of African descent. One day I was, you know, running on the bus home. And uh, and so I was pointing out that my house is right there. It's right on the edge of the street. And this boy that was sitting next to me was like, that's not your house. Why can't that be my house? And he goes, no way. That house is too nice to be yours. The majority of my white associates or people that I go to church with, we don't have any of the same views and they don't even try to understand my views. The conversations I've been having to them about race, I've been having for years and I feel like I'm yelling into a pillow and no one is listening. I want them to be uncomfortable. I want them to be uncomfortable because I'm uncomfortable. The morals at our church are step out of your comfort zone, do things that you're not used to, and I feel like this is one of them, but they're still kind of avoiding it. We are women of color, and so I know the things that are ahead of you. I understand the things, the challenges that you are going to face being a Black woman in, in an American society. I just want you to know that I'm super proud of you, and we will make it together. We will make it through these times. That came to us from America Amplified reporter Meg Feeney in Union, Nebraska. And as we hear from folks around the country, we're asking what's dividing the nation and what's bringing us together. We've also been reaching out to people to ask about how they're coping at this moment and how some of these divides over politics, race, and the pandemic are affecting their lives. Uh, about a week or so ago, I talked to Kayla Ganguly. She lives in Vermont. Ganguly says she comes from a family of activists in India her grandparents actually marched with Gandhi. She told the New England News Collaborative that she and her daughters have experienced racism in Vermont. Shortly after the elections in 2016, we started facing incidents where we'd be walking down the street, specifically my daughters, and people would lean out of cars and scream at them and say, go back to where you came from, you Arabic, and a swear word, which put the, I mean, my daughter's been in fear. She was like, I, she started dressing differently. As she said, I can pass because I'm light-skinned if I do my makeup right. It, it's a challenging situation on a personal level, on a systemic level, when you have an entire group of people who fear the other when they go outside. That's Kayla Ganguly from Vermont. One of the divides that we've been following in New England, Rose, is over mm -hmm. the understanding of racism in a place that's seen by many people as progressive. Mm -hmm. So I want to welcome in our next guest. His name is Perak Sarmiento. He's a community organizer with Unidad Latina en Acción in New Haven, Connecticut. Welcome to our show, Perak. Hello. Buenas tardes. Buenos días a todos, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us. I, I'm wondering, Perak, first, if you could address that issue for us that we just heard about, the fact that the community you serve sees the effects of racism, even though you live in a, a mostly liberal, so-called sanctuary city of New Haven, Connecticut. We are facing a lot of problems right now with this pandemic and all the talking about racism this year. We are trying to bring the black and Latino community together after George Floyd and Black Lives Matter thing that 
brings a lot of conversation in my community too because we are like trying to get together but it's been kind of complicated the two communities you know like the system is this way the the system is is uh separating latino and black communities but we want to to come together in this in this time and it's it's kind of working it's kind of working mm -hmm. because the sounds of the the word racism is sounding really hard right now mm -hmm. and it's touching it's touching everyone yeah could you talk a bit more about that divide though the the divide that you that you see between the black community and the latino community and some of the some of the things that that maybe separate people on some of these issues yeah i think we well we both our communities they're really poor they make this look like the immigrant communities taking the jobs of black communities and black communities trying to like blame latino community and things like that you know the stereotypes and stuff like that and in in my community also we don't we don't speak english you know like we came from Latin America, we speak Spanish, and with the black community, we don't have the conversation. We don't we, we don't talk to each other. We just mm -hmm. follow the the parents that they were there before we came. You know, like Latino people from one side and black community in the other side. But in the end of the day, when we finally see each other in the street fighting for our rights, the civil rights, we see that both communities have a lot in common. Like police are attacking my community as well as the black community. We don't receive acute response from the police because we don't speak English. The black community also has these problems because the police doesn't respond the same way when a white person mm -hmm. calls the police, you know? So we, we seen all these issues in, in those two communities, but we bring in the conversation now together to bring together these Latino and black communities. Well, let's keep this conversation going. I want to bring in Catherine Navarez Menya. She's a DACA recipient and the first undocumented person to pursue a joint master's in public health and master's in business administration at Johns Hopkins. Welcome, Catherine, to the program. Thank you so much for taking the time. No, thank you for having me. What an honor to be here and speak about issues that affect our communities directly. Well, let's begin with our communities directly. And I want to focus on your community for a moment, if we can, because you heard what Perrick just said. Have you had conversations within the community where folks may have glaring differences of, of opinions about are we divided and, and what's dividing us? Are you having those conversations? Yes, and, and I think I uh, resonate a lot with what uh, Perry was talking about, that there is a lot of division within our community, but then also there's a lot more things that bring us together. Um, obviously, you know, even if we talk about the Latinx community, I mean, we are, even though we are Latinx, we are also very, very different as, you know, we represent a lot of countries um, and it's not just Mexicans, it's not just Central Americans. I mean, you have South Americans as well. And so you have a myriad of, of cultures and traditions and, and belief systems. And so, you know, one of the things that divides even the Latino culture, especially around my community is the fact that um, a women's right to choose and the, uh, Christian values, um, even though, you know, the, the same administration that's trying to take to get rid of that is the same administration that is separating our families. So it's like, how do you um, mitigate those those two, or how do you 
bring those two different views and try to advocate for the community as a whole um, as well, yeah. Well, Catherine, how do you navigate through that? I think it's a lot of educating and a lot of dialogue. I've had very meaningful conversations with people um, about, um, you know, things that have happened in the past and people not allowing people to grow or um, to learn from their mistakes, uh, educating people on a lot of the things that get posted on social media and a lot of things that get posted on on the web sometimes are very misleading um, and actually contribute to the misinformation of our communities. And so ensuring that, you know, whatever you're sharing, wherever you're getting your news source, wherever you're um, getting this information from is uh, sources that are um, that are say, saying the truth and are stating facts. And I think that's where it starts. Um, and I think it's also, you know, it's really hard and I struggle with this too, is like sometimes, you know, it's really, it's really easy to teach skills. It's really easy to teach um, people to, to learn a trade, but it's really hard for people to kind of understand empathy and humanity um, because that's not something that you can teach someone you just have it's something that it's it's a reaction you have to see it you have to experience it you have to be able to um, relate to somebody and I think that a lot of the miscommunication that is happening and a lot of the differences that are arising is because people just don't know and not that that's an excuse. We are so connected at this moment in time and in history. You you should know someone that's undocumented. You should know someone that's LGBTQ+. You should know a Black community. You should know the issues that are affecting all these different communities. So that's not an excuse. However, I do think that that, that lack of um, education is what is continuously uh, not allowing people to build that that bridge of like empathy and and in brotherhood and or sisterhood to be able to, to move forward as a nation and and collectively use our collective voice to advocate not only for our communities but also for communities that are being uh, systematically affected by an unjust system well Catherine, let me ask you this because you've been talking about misinformation fueling people's biases fueling the way people feel about a certain community and i want to ask you have you experienced that Yes, for sure. I mean, you know, even being at a university, uh, one of the top universities in the United States, in the world, um, I experience it all the time, mm-hmm. where I advocate for DACA recipients, where I advocate for undocumented communities, and I have people say, well, my family did it the right way. My family waited three years before they could come to the U.S. And it's like, and I have to explain to them, is, you're lucky that you only waited three years. There are asylum seekers, there are refugees that are still waiting in refugee camps 20, 25 years for them to be able to come to the US. And it's 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 the fact that it's always trying to revert it back to themselves in a way that they can't see. It's not me against you. It's not us against each other. It's us against a system that is in place that keeps certain communities out, a system that doesn't help everybody. Um, I am a summer fellow at, at Johns Hopkins and even working as a researcher, like I pay a lot of taxes I pay into Social Security, something that I probably will never be able to um, benefit from in the future. I pay into all these systems and I'm not able to take to take advantage of them when I need them. Catherine, I'm, I'm wondering from your perspective, you know, we're we're talking just a month or so before the election. And in your situation, you 
know a lot of the things that you want to change about the place where you live, but you can't vote. Yes. Um, you know, I, I've always been a grassroots organizer and beca just because I can't vote doesn't mean that I can't encourage other people to register and to educate them on the process. Um, uh, because a lot of people, even though they can't vote, they don't understand the process. They don't understand what they need to do, how they can get registered. And as someone that has, you know, been educated and been trying to get people to vote, um, for the entire community, um, amplifying the voices of those that cannot vote uh, and are systematically affected uh, by just unjust policies that are racist, um, that are, um, you know, that continue to divide us. I think I personally feel that education, education, education is the one way that we can uh, move forward in that in whether I can vote or not. Hopefully one day I can, <laughs> and I'm patiently waiting for that day. Uh, but until then, I think I, I will continue um, encouraging and motivating and going out in the streets and registering people to vote. So Catherine, that optimism that you have, which you say is rooted in educating folks that you just talked about, and that leads us to, as we're asking people about that optimism, and you are optimistic that this can happen that this nation, which we everyone keeps saying is divided, that we will get to a point where perhaps folks will be able to look through the lens of another individual through just educating people and bringing awareness to them. But that, for a lot of people, is a daunting task. Uh, yes, I do get exhausted. It, it is mentally and emotionally exhausted to continuously be the advocate for my community, especially in places where I am in like we're in places of power with people who have the potential to move policies forward. Uh, being at Johns Hopkins, I work a lot in policy and creating memos and um, meeting with politicians um, and how our communities are affected. Um, but you know, I I do I'm very optimistic that if we continue educating people and sharing stories, when when we talk about immigration in general, you know. Sometimes we talk about immigration in terms of statistics and, oh, we have 11 million undocumented immigrants living in the U.S. Oh, there's 600,000, um, you know, DACA recipients. Those are all statistics and those are all great. But you need to put a face to the issue. You need to put a face to the mm -hmm. struggle so that people are able to empathize and really see, hey, this could be my family. You know, what, what, how? how did I get lucky that this is not my situation, that this is not my circumstance? And, you know, when, when we were fighting for, for DACA, I mean, we were out in the Supreme Court and it was just so beautiful to see people of all backgrounds, of all shades, of all colors, of all religions, fighting for this one thing. And it brought us together. And, you know, we weren't given a win. We fought for it. Immigrants have fought for decades. We have rallied, we have partaken in civil disobedience, we have protested, we have put ourselves in danger, we fought for our families, we have fought for people that didn't qualify for DACA, and we armed ourselves with strength, courage, and resiliency. And I think we're, you know, this, this reflecting back on this summer when, when the Supreme Court was releasing um, their, like what they had decided on and certain key issues, you know, uh, we had to acknowledge that moment in history. People of all backgrounds became allies, and you know we we were supporting Black Lives Matters and standing against police brutality. People of all backgrounds became allies and supported DACA, and and were standing against the separation of families. People of all backgrounds and 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 
you know, where we're becoming allies and supporting LGBTQ plus rights and standing against discrimination in the workplace. And I think we are coming to a place where we are understanding that in order to make a society that works for everybody, we all need to come together and we, we all play a role in doing that. Um, and it's a revolution. And I think that everybody, if you're not part of this revolution, you are missing out on the change that is coming. And I hope that it's coming. It's not coming fast enough, but we, we hopefully we're moving forward, even if it's little by little. I want to thank our guests, Perak Sarmiento, a community organizer with Unidad Latina en Acción in New Haven, Connecticut, and also Catherine Navayas Mena. She's a DACA recipient and the first undocumented person to pursue a joint master's in public health and master's in business administration at Johns Hopkins. Thank you to you both. Thank you. And we're talking about the big divide. Now coming up. I want to thank you, Ben, for being on this program. You know, I think it's really important to have people from both sides of the political spectrum to talk because this is what's going to heal America. We'll be right back. This is America Amplified. Welcome back. I'm John Dankosky from New England Public Media. And I'm Rose Scott from WABE in Atlanta. This is America Amplified, Election 2020, Your Voice Counts. And we're talking this hour about what's dividing Americans right now and what could bring us together. And we've been hearing from people across the country talking about some of these divides. Many Americans live in communities where they're isolated from people who look, think, or vote differently. One of the big divides we've seen is over the government's response to COVID-19. Let's hear from Bruce McKay. He's a resident of North Idaho. If I told you four months ago that the government's gonna take, tell you you can't leave your house, or you can only go to certain places, uh, we're gonna shut your businesses down, you would say, uh, Bruce, uh, you need to go see the mental health guy, okay? <laughs> because you're just paranoid. And look what we got. It's not like you got the bubonic plague here. So th this is the hype that I don't buy into. That comes from Nate Hedgie of the Mountain West News Bureau. And now let's head out to Wyoming. We're joined with Ben Bartow, who's coming into the program. Ben, welcome. Thanks for taking the time. Good afternoon. Glad to be here. Hey ben, let me, let me, let's begin here, because as a voter, I know there are issues that inform your decision. So what are those, what are those issues for you, Ben? Well, the, the freedoms that we are having stripped away from us right now is one of the big issues. What I've seen in the country uh, over the last, you know, 15, 20 years, we are becoming more and more divided because uh, the two parties are getting so far apart that uh, I don't know if they'll ever be able to come back together. Uh, one party wants to head towards a socialist movement. Uh, we've seen what that has done to other countries. It, it's destroyed them. And uh, uh, to believe that, that there are people within this country that cannot see where they are taking this country makes me come to the belief that they hate this bad enough to see it, America destroyed. And that uh, disturbs me. And, and, and uh, now with the exodus of all of the, uh, the mass people leaving these burning, rioting, looting cities, you know, um, I don't blame them. I don't blame them at all. We experience a, a freedom out here that, uh, is unparalleled to anywhere else in the country. Uh, Wyoming is a beautiful state. We're extremely proud of it. Uh, we are Wyoming strong. 
and uh, we want to keep it that way. And uh, I, I don't know what the answer is. Uh, it's uh, nobody wants to sit down to the table and talk because they are so far divided. Uh, I don't know what the solution is, but uh, part of it, I think, is uh, uh, racism, uh, which is still prevalent in this country now uh, with the Black Lives Matters movements, you know, I mean, we're, we're sitting in a little uh, quiet space of the world here uh, in America wondering what in the hell is going on? And we're scratching our heads. So, Ben, you mentioned in, Wy- in Wyoming, because I, I imagine, Ben, and you correct me if I'm wrong, in the community where you live, are there a lot of black and brown folks there? <laughs> uh, no, there aren't. But the town that I grew up in, uh, I was born and raised in Rock Springs, Wyoming. And uh, that town is, uh, they pride themselves on uh, being the home of 56 different nationalities. Mm-hmm. I mean, when we grew up, we, we grew up with uh, uh, Hispanics, Chinese, Polish people, Jewish people, black people, people of every color. And uh, we never saw any color between us. You know, we didn't have, uh, there was no color barriers, no prejudices. And, and uh, so we in Wyoming can't understand that the uh, prejudice that's going on across the country. Ben, this is John Dankosky. Uh, from what I understand, your, your political ideology has, has shifted over time. Can you tell me about that change? You were a Democrat once. Uh, yes. Uh, uh, my wife and I both come from uh, Democratic veteran families. Um, my parents raised us Democrats. Uh, over the course of the years, you know, the older we get, we become a little bit wiser and see what's been going on and in the shift of the parties and uh, uh, mainly the the uh, Democratic Party moving from Democrats. I mean, there, there are still regular Democrats, uh, bipartisan Republicans, you know, that that can uh, find some some mainstream. You know, there's I don't think there's as many Republicans moving as far right as there are. Uh, Democrats moving far left. Uh, at least uh, I don't see it in my inner circle in the state of Wyoming here. Uh, we don't have that extreme uh, right Republicans here uh, that I have noticed. Uh, so I can't speak for a right wing Republican because I'm not there and I don't know. Uh, I, I don't even know what their ide- ideology is. But the the radical ones that are taking us so far to the left, uh, to the point of socialism, is uh, extremely disturbing. And uh, I know they won't come back to the middle of the table because uh, they are so radical that they they have no love for America anymore. And uh, I think their agenda is to see it destroyed because that's exactly what, what we're seeing throughout the United States right now. Hmm. Uh, ben, hang tight for a second. We want to bring into the conversation Dylan Hellebrand. He's from Florida, and he's been doing political organizing there. Uh, Dylan, welcome to our program. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me on. I appreciate it. You've been listening to a, a bit of our conversation. I guess I'm wondering if you feel as though some of the divides that we've been talking about today on the program are the same divides that you are hearing from people as you, I assume, Talk to an awful lot of folks in your in your work trying to organize politically. Absolutely. I would also say, you know, 
things like social issues, um, including those who are different from other people, you know, in terms of religion, uh, sexual orientation, gender, and race, you know, it's become more apparent as those issues have been on the forefront in the most recent years. And I hear it from people I talk to all the time. And, you know, another big issue I think that's dividing the American people uh, revolves around political issues. It's dangerous because I don't believe you should question, you know, someone's motives um, instead of their judgment because you don't know how they got to a specific uh, position on an issue. Um, and I think, you know, it's deemed now as a political sin to want to talk to the other side of the political spectrum. And it's sad to see that rhetoric come from the White House because the president, you know, is supposed to lead and unite the country instead of spewing hatred and division. And I just think uh, we need to listen more more to one another. I, I'm wondering if, if you think that th- this, though, is is irreparable. Our, our guest, Ben, was saying that maybe this is a divide that America can't come back from. I mean, you're you're 21 years old. Are, are you as pessimistic as he is? Uh, no, I don't believe so. I, I believe more in the American people, and I just believe that, you know, there has to be some time and place where we have to come together because, I, you know, you, you look at things that have happened in the past in American history. We've gone through wars. We've gone through, you know, 1968 with all the political divide that happened there, and we have come together since then. So I'm very optimistic about America, but right now, it's, you know, if, if something doesn't happen now, it, it, just, it doesn't look good for the foreseeable future. I believe if, you know, if we continue on the course that we have the past four years, um, you know, this president, he has done every day. He has just lied to the American people instead of just trying to unite everybody. I I believe, you know, personally, when I, you know, I talk to a Republican, for example, uh, you know, I listen. I hear them out. I understand. I ask them why they believe this issue, how they got to it. And I tell them I understand why you got to it. But here, let me tell you what I believe on this issue. Um, And I have seen, you know, it's happened with friends as well. You know, those on the other side, you just start to call them names um, and it it turns personal and it breaks up friendships. And also, you know, it happens in families, too. It breaks families apart. Um, We just have to somehow we have to get away from that. It's not healthy. Um, it, It does no good for us as a people and as a society. Well, I want to bring in Ben Bartow back into the conversation for a second. So you heard what Dylan said, and Dylan's saying, listen, you know, maybe we all can sit down and, and have this, this cordial conversation. But Dylan is saying if there's all this other messaging coming from the White House, that that is the problem in itself. And how do you respond to that, Ben? Because you, you just said we all need to sit down. Dylan's saying we all need to sit down. Yeah, and I would I would like to ask if uh, you know I I believe you mentioned uh, he was about 22 years old. Um, I would like to know what type of uh, let's call it uh, work ethics does he believe in? Like a, a lot of young people, that everything is supposed to be free. Is he moving towards a socialist where the government takes care of everything, or um, is he a, a self-made man that? Uh, works hard and has some set of goals and and working towards the future of possibly his own business um, that also has a direct reflect on on uh, the way that the country is moving because of the, the movement towards socialism uh, everybody's been handed everything for free and uh, and they want every, to continue with the government big government paying for everything and that's part of the problem is uh, are we going to stay uh, Americans, or are we going to be a socialist country? Well, it, Dylan, you got a response for Ben? 
Well, first of all, I want to thank you, Ben, for being on this program. You know, I think it's, like I said before, it's really important to have, you know, people from both sides of the political spectrum to talk because this is what, you know, this is what's going to heal America. Um, I would like to say that I do believe in working hard. Um, I don't, you know, I personally, I don't have everything handed to me. I, um, you know, I work in retail right now. I work hours and hours on end, especially during this pandemic to, you know, support myself, um, you know, paying for college, paying for tuition and, you know, everything like that. And, um, you know, I, I understand how scary, you know, both, I see it from both sides as well. You know, I'm not someone that says, well, you know, my party's a hundred percent right. And the other party isn't, um, you know, I see there's extremes on both sides as we have been discussing, um, and I see how that can be scary, but I believe, you know, I, I'm not someone that believes, well, you know what, it's either my way or the highway. I believe in, you know, working hard for your dreams and your goals, um, making sure that uh, everybody else has a fair chance as well. Um, but that's what I believe. Okay. I, I have another question for you, uh, Dylan, I, you know, and I, I appreciate you being here and, and having this little exchange here. Uh, can I ask... Uh, what type of uh, media that you listen to? Well, I actually, um, I listen to all sides. I tend to listen more of uh, news that are deemed down the middle. Now, there's a lot of news out there right now that's very biased towards the left, towards the right. But I do listen to both sides. Uh, for example, I do listen to MSNBC. I do listen to Fox News. I do listen to CNN. And I like to do my research. I, I go, you know, on websites that I, I research very well. Uh, so that, you know, they're not biased. I, I do multiple, you know, searches on different subjects. I like to hear what's, you know, factual so I can come up with my own conclusion. Because I think that's that's very, very important. Ben, yeah. let me ask you, what, what do you listen to? Well, I, I, I'm kind of like Dylan, you know, every once in a while I'll listen to uh, MSNBC or CNN. But I mainly listen to uh, Fox News because they do have, uh, you know, they're a little bit more fair and balanced. They also have some Democratic uh, analysis uh, on their program, and, and they have heated exchanges and and uh, different points of view. I must say, I am really shocked y'all not listening to NPR, but that's okay. <laughs> well, yes, I mean, I, in fact, I, we watched uh, the debate last night at Wyoming NPR. Uh, uh, you know, so I, I do listen to NPR every once in a while. Well, before we say goodbye to you all, because I do want to ask you this, and and we've been touching on it, and it is about optimism. Because both of you sound like you want to reach some point where you feel like as as Americans, as a nation, we are coming together. So when we talk about optimism, Ben, can you see that happening? But it will have to take a collaborative spirit and maybe folks giving in on both sides. Or you just don't think that's possible. Uh, and, you know, I'm speaking from my heart here. I, mm -hmm. I think we're at the boiling point and I, I pray to God that we can come back together. And I hope that uh, we're not that far apart that we can sit down at our table, but our leaders are the cause of this problem. The big leaders on both sides are so at each other's throats right now, I don't see them coming together. And this country can't come together until our leaders come together. Dylan? I, well, I, I like to say I 100% agree with my friend here from Wyoming. You know, it, it, it comes from the top as well. And I think, you know, we have to at some point may be given a little bit in order to heal the divide because, you know, what I've seen, and not even just the last four years, you know, you look at the, you know, the whole last decade, it's just been, you know, it, it goes downhill. And, and I'm very, you know, saddened to see this. And I think, you know, we need to, as someone from another 
part of the you know political spectrum, I feel as if we need to start talking about what unites us, the, the issues that we can agree on um, to, to start it all. Because if we just start at, you know, I believe in this, I believe in that, well, you're wrong, this is wrong, it, it, it doesn't get anywhere. Um, I, I'm very hopeful, you know, I, I love history, I research a lot of American history, um, I see the things that we have been divided on in the past, and I, I'm very hopeful that we can come together at some point because we have to in order for America to survive. Dylan Hellebrands from Florida, thank you so much for spending some time with us. Thank you so much. I really do appreciate it. Ben Bartow from Wyoming, I want to thank you so much for spending some time with us this hour. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Ben. You're welcome. And, and thank you very much. Uh, and I appreciate uh, opening my eyes a little more. All across the country, there are people who are hard at work trying to bridge our divides, finding ways to bring their communities together. And one way is through the arts. Jerrica Wortham is a spoken word artist in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And while she says her community is deeply divided right now, she remains hopeful that her voice, her work, can play a small part in bringing people together as we head into an uncertain future. I think in this time that we are divided by our inability to pause and to listen to empathize with experiences that are outside of our own. Your world is, is not the only world that's out there. It is my hope that me utilizing my voice, that I'm inspiring then others to utilize their voice so that we can continue to grow in sharing alternate narratives in America. Art has a way of connecting people. It has a way of reminding us that we are humans on this journey. Riding through existence. I ride through existence on air. Reaching all within my grasp, I am seldomly touching yet felt all the same, bringing change for the will of will and the wills of will, for I am the will and I mourn with this, this overwhelming guilt because for a moment I actually thought I was the way, yet it turns out I was only in the way of the way, yet I shine like the reflection in sunlight, I shine like that girl Stevie sings vividly in song, I shine using my love to make men strong, I guess that makes me in sense a spinal cord that connects to the neck, bringing a system of support and keeping the head up right on and on and on and on my cypher keeps moving like a rolling stone like badu hachu bless you and you and you and me should just sit and reflect sometime sit and spend some time buy and sell some time so we can make some time for the future is knocking on the door and i am just dying to let it in because success is next of kin to me Meaning my family tree is filled with the fruits of labors as far as the eye can see. And so far, Miss Jerrica don't think she's going blind. So while I soar through existence, using only the force of my own self-determination to keep me afloat as I carry the sun in the palm of my hands and cast shadows of myself on creation, I get this feeling. And I can't as of now name its location, but it's a mixture of butterflies and that feeling you get after a couple of drinks when your body gets lethargic and everything is everything and nothing else matters except that I am riding on air, on faith. 
And I'm too afraid to look up. I'm too afraid to look down. I'm too afraid to look forward. I'm too afraid to look back. And so then all I have left to look at is myself. And I'll make choices for betterment. I'll make choices for upliftment of you and me because although we're all different, we're part of the same family tree of life. So I decide to move forward. Even though my arms are getting tired and the wind is cutting my face and the sun gets hot on these fingertips, I move forward. Even though my peers say I'm overzealous, I move forward. Even though those I love may be standing in the back, I move forward because maybe all they need is a path or a light shed. And since I pride myself in having a little light in me, I move forward and I shine through this existence that I am in. And I invite you to shine with me. Riding Through Existence by spoken word artist Jerrica Wortham. And that postcard was produced by our very own director, Andrea Tudhope. Thanks so much for joining us this hour for America Amplified Election 2020. Listen back to this episode at americaamplified.org. Our producers are Maya Ina, Grace Walker, and Daniela Luna. Our senior producer and director is Andrea Tuthope. Our executive directors are Lisa Barber and Donna Vestal. Kathy Liu is our digital director. Our community engagement gurus are Matthew Long Middleton, Ann Alquist, and Jennifer Tufts. And a special thanks to KCUR in Kansas City, WABE in Atlanta, Alaska Public Media, and Native Voice One, a Native American radio network. And America Amplified is supported by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Listen, the conversation doesn't end here. Find us on Twitter at Amplify 2020. From WABE in Atlanta, I'm Rose Scott. And I'm John Dankosky from New England Public Media. This is America Amplified, Election 2020. Your voice counts.